Good morning. How are we today? Good, good. Good to see you guys. I want to say welcome and Happy New Year to you. Uh, my family and I were out last week doing a, a final Christmas get-together with some extended family, and uh, it's good to be back with you all today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll be. We're continuing in uh, our spiritual habits series, and so if you were here last week, Brother Steve got up and uh, preached a great message. I just want to say thank you, Steve, for your message last week, for uh, your willingness to hear from the Lord and to, to present such great food uh, for us. Um, you, you spoke well about God's Word being our foundation and how to, how to create that habit in your life. And So thank you. Thank you for your service. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, at Paul's command to train yourself for godliness and he says that the reason to do so is that physical training is of some value, but God, training for godliness is of eternal value. And so if we are to train ourselves, it's going to come through developing spiritual habits, such habits that form gospel-centered lives. So in week one, we talked about how gospel-centered habits form gospel-centered lives. It's not just a habit of any sort. It's a gospel-centered habit that's going to form a gospel-centered life. And so today I want to talk to you about the habit of prayer and how prayer is our communication with God. Let me pray for us as we prepare to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we have now to hear from it. Father, would you open our hearts and minds uh, to receive uh, from the teaching of Christ in Matthew 6 on prayer. Uh, Father, we pray that it would go down deep into our hearts that it would infiltrate our lives and that we would do nothing else but live uh, these words out, that they would become part of who we are as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, we pray that your name be glorified today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, old preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon was once asked this, which is more important, Bible reading or prayer? To which Spurgeon responded, which is more important, breathing in or breathing out? Um, his point was that they are of equal importance and of equal necessity for the Christian life. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me equate Bible reading to oxygen. It's the oxygen for the Christian life. It's as, poor, it's as important as breathing uh, for human life. Now, I wish that I'd done a better job over the last few years about promoting uh, prayer in such a high view, and I, I hope to begin doing some of that today. I want to start with maybe a definition of prayer. What, what is prayer? And this will be on the screen. Prayer is communicating with God for the sake of glorifying His name with our lives. Prayer is communicating with God for the sake of glorifying His name with our lives. Saints throughout the ages have understood the importance of prayer. They value it enough to make it a habit in their lives. We regularly see phrases like this in Scripture. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and the breaking of bread and the fellowship. They continued steadfastly in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So you can see the importance just in a few passages of prayer as far as the New Testament is concerned. But why? Why and how have God's people been so dedicated to prayer in their lives? Well, I believe it's because they had a deep understanding of His saving work in their life. 
They, they understood that without Christ's intervention, that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. That without His saving work, and, uh, th- that they would be um, cast away from God forever. I think they also understood uh, and loved His Word. They understood and loved His Word deeply. You see, prayer is a conversation that you didn't start. Prayer is an answer to the conversation that God has begun through His Word. It's us pleading with God to continue the work that He promises to do in His Word through us. They understood that prayer was a conversation they didn't start. Prayer is our good, right, holy response to God's active work in us and to God's Word, which is spoken to us from the Scriptures. Prayer is communicating with the God who saves us from our sins for the sake of glorifying His name with all of our lives, with every ounce of who we are. And so within the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' lengthiest public teachings, it's found in Matthew 5-7, through Jesus addresses prayer, and here's how He begins in verse 5. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What's their reward? It's the praise of man, right? It's the glorying of man on on them, thinking that they're high and mighty. Uh, He has in mind here, as you see at the end of chapter 5, the scribes and the Pharisees. To the crowd that he's preaching to, this would have been a bit of a scandalous statement to be making about such people that they held in such high regard religiously. They thought that these people were amazing. And Jesus says in the middle of Matthew 5 that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter heaven. And this is a scandalous thing, but here's what he's talking about. He's like their righteousness is but a thin veneer. It looks good on the outside, and they're making sure that everyone sees how wonderful they appear to be. It's like posting the good parts of our life on social media and not letting people understand who we actually are in our homes. Amen? What's really going on in our marriages? What's really going on in our lives? And and so Jesus says in verse 6, but when you pray, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. So what's he saying? Prayer is not a spectacle It's a private event. It's meant between you and the Father. It's something to be experienced between you and the Father. You speak to the Father, and when He sees you, He'll reward you. And so you might not get the praise of man for such doing, but you'll have the praise of the Father, which is far, far greater. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And sometimes we don't know what to pray because we hear people pray who are simply empty, offering up empty words. And they appear to be praying with such force and such might and such eloquence that we think, man, I couldn't pray like that. I might as well not pray. But Christ is saying here, don't do that. That's what the Gentiles do. That's what unbelievers do. They think that they're going to twist God's arm with their eloquence, twist God's arm with their many words. And Jesus says, your heart will be seen. You don't have to do that. Do not be like them, verse 8, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Man. Man. Now you might use your Father will, need, your father will know what you need before you ask Him as a reason to not pray. 
That would be wrong. This is a reason to pray. Your Father knows what you need. So here's the deal. You and I, uh, according to James chapter 4, can be guilty of not receiving because we don't ask. So James chapter 4 says you have not because you ask not. There, there's a guilt in not asking the Lord for something. right? And so we're just not asking. We, we, we might need an intervention in our marriage. We might need um, an answer to some problem we're having in our life, whether at work or school or uh, in a relationship. We might be trying to unlock some truth in the Word that we just can't get past and we read it and we're like, man, that's really tough and we never ask for help from the Lord. There's lots of things that we're not asking for. And the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Now, there's another wrong into that that we see in James chapter 4 also. He says, uh, you ask and do not receive because you ask with selfish ambition. You're, you're wanting the pleasures of life, he says. You're asking for selfish ambition to receive the pleasures. And so you will ask sometimes for something that you know will bring you pleasure, but the Lord will not answer that at times because it's an earthly pleasure, and He has in mind for you eternal pleasure. And so He's got in mind something better. So there are times where we're asking and not receiving because we're asking without His will in mind. We're asking according to our own will and desires. And then there's times where we're not receiving because we're not asking. So make sure you're asking. This is what we do when we pray for someone. Uh, say you've got a, a friend or a family member who's sick. You want to pray for the Lord to heal them, but you're kind of unsure about whether or not God wants to heal them. Ask. Ask the Lord for healing. And let Him know, Father, whatever you decide, I submit to your will. But I'm asking for you to do this. And it's up to Him. It's totally up to him. So this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did before they were thrown into the furnace, right? They're not going to bow down to the God that they're the, the golden statue that they're told to, being told to bow down to. And their response is, "We will not bow to this idol, and we will. We're fine being thrown into the furnace because we know that our God can deliver us." But then, what do they say? But even if He doesn't even if He doesn't. That's, that's our heart in prayer. We want to pray that the Lord would, uh, that we want to ask for things that we think are in accordance with His will. But even if we, if we don't get it, we understand that His will is greater than what we are praying for, and we want to submit ourselves to that. Amen? It's a little side tangent. I apologize. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 is revealing this sobering truth to us here about our private prayer life. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying your private prayer life is a test of your spiritual integrity. It's a test of your spiritual integrity. And the people this crowd would have thought were getting it right, the scribes and the Pharisees, were missing the point of prayer in Jesus' estimation. They are hypocrites. They're like the man that Jasper just told us about, right? They're just they're praying to be seen, praying for the praise of man, wanting to maintain power in the eyes of those common people. And Jesus says this is a test of their spiritual integrity. Tim Keller adds this. He says, many people will pray when they are required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety caused by troubling circumstances. So he's saying there might be a, a, a situation that you're in, cultural or uh, socially, that you're expected to pray. Maybe you're asked to pray over a meal. Maybe you're uh, asked to, to pray at a, a family event or you're 
you're kind of expected to. Or, or uh, maybe you're sitting with some friends and prayer is not really your, your normal thing, but one of them says, hey, let's pray. And you're like, oh, oh yeah, okay. You know, because you don't want to be the person that doesn't want to pray. So, so Keller's saying people will pray when it's culturally and when there's a cultural or social expectation. Or perhaps they'll pray when life gets really hard, when the anxiety levels are high, they'll begin to seek the Lord. He goes on to say, those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as Father, however, will inwardly want to pray and therefore will pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. So this is just kind of a, a running conversation as you go throughout your day. This is a, a, a running talk with God that in the events of your life, you're just keeping them in prayer. You're asking for strength, asking for help, asking for wisdom, direction, whatever it is you need in that moment, peace. And, and you're trusting the Lord to provide it. Private prayer is a test of whether or not we are real as Christians. Is God our true treasure? Or are we using prayer to impress others? Private prayer cuts through the fog. It cuts through the confusion. It helps us to know that our relationship with God is authentic. Not only does private prayer show we really, uh, who we really are spiritually, it is the means of grace that when coupled with knowing God's Word is essential in healing the many places that we are broken, needy, lacking, or rebellious. Not only does Jesus reveal a process for prayer, He reveals God's expectation for prayer with the words, when you pray. When you pray. It's not if you pray. It's not when you remember to pray. It's not at times you should think about praying. It says, when you pray. You see, God commands us to pray. Therefore, He expects us to pray. The command to pray reveals the heart of God toward His people. It reveals the heart of God toward His people. God does not command us to pray because He is some distant authoritarian who feeds off the neediness of His people. He commands us to pray because we are, naturally speaking, distant wannabe authoritarians. As believers, we have received a new heart, but our flesh desires sinful behavior. And at the root of all sin is pride. A pride that says and declares emphatically, I want to be God. This is what happens in Genesis 3. This is the very original temptation. God knows that in the day when you eat of it, you will be like Him. So He's trying to keep you down, Eve. And then Eve looks at the fruit and sees that it's desirable. And she takes and eats. So God commands us to pray. He expects us to pray because He is for us. He is for His people. He wants us to know deep fellowship with Him. He wants us to live lives that are fully devoted to Him. Again, not because He is an egomaniac. Rather, because He is the creator of heaven and earth and all that's in it. He created mankind. He created you. He knows better than anyone how life is meant to be lived. Therefore, He commands us to pray. He commands us to seek, to ask, to knock, so that we will be dependent on Him, just like children are dependent upon a parent. How then? 
How then should we pray? So far, what we've seen is that prayer is communicating with God for the sake of glorifying His name with our lives. We've seen that it is commanded and that it is, it is expected for that purpose. We've also seen Jesus' command to not be a hypocrite, that prayer is personal. It's between you and the Father. So find a place that is quiet, a place that is out of sight. This could be your table uh, early in the morning. It could be a separate room. It could be something you make. You develop a place for prayer in your home. But don't stand in the city streets and make a show of prayer. And you say, well, Kyle, nobody's really doing that anymore. Well, an example of how we may be guilty of that would be typing out the word praying as we continue scrolling past the post we just read and have no regular habit of praying in our lives at all. We're making it look as though we're praying and we never actually said a prayer. But Jesus says something else that would have been scandalous at this time. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. That's scandalous. <laughs> and we read it and we think, man, that's, it, we're pretty used to this prayer. But in that day, talking to that crowd, telling those people who aren't scribes and Pharisees to address God as Father would have been scandalous. But this is exactly what Jesus came to achieve. And this is, what is he, this is what he's letting them know. Is that God is your Father, just as He is my Father. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's two parts here to the Lord's Prayer. Part one, I think it was John Piper who kind of pointed this out to me for the first time. Part one of this is, hallowed be your name. Honor, glory to your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. Part two is, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I mean, just basic observation here. You can see and feel the difference between the two halves of the prayer. The first three requests are about what? God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. The last three are about my food, my forgiveness, my holiness. You see, the first three call attention to God's grandeur, His greatness, what He's doing in the world. And the last three call attention to our need for His action in our lives, that we need His intervention. The first half is really majestic and high. It's kind of otherworldly. It's hard to understand maybe even or to fathom what it means, your kingdom come, your will be done. And the last half feels kind of mundane and low. Bread, forgiveness, holiness. 
You see, there is some correspondence to the content of this prayer and the content of our lives. There's a connection here that we need to catch this morning when Jesus is teaching us how to pray. They're not empty words that He muddles to kind of give us a format for prayer. They're certainly a format for prayer, but they're not empty by any means. Jesus here is unlocking for us what prayer is, why it matters, what it's for, how we should use it in our lives daily. And the correspondence is this, you have the big and the little, you have the, the glorious and the common, you have the majestic and the mundane, you have the high and the low. This is what life is, is it not? It's majestic and mundane. It's, it's high at times and it's low. It's full of the glorious and, and full of the normal. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, as he's sharing the wisdom of a life not well spent, says he has made everything. This is Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Listen to this. He says, also, he has put eternity. He has put eternity into a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This verse is saying that the human heart, that every human heart, that the world and every human heart is filled with wonders linked to eternity. It's filled with wonders that are linked to eternity. And the, the author realizes, Solomon realizes here, that both his desire to understand all of life, which is what he gave his life to, he, he tried everything, as well as the limitations on his ability to do so. So though he tried it all, there were still limitations there, and he couldn't do all that he wanted. That both of those, the desire to understand and the limitations, are ordained by God that God has put into the heart of every man a desire for eternity, but limited him so that he may not know, so that he may not know what God has done from beginning to end. Even as believers, we think this way. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. So if you've placed your faith in Christ Jesus, you did that because the Holy Spirit of God had caused you to be reborn. You'd been regenerated, and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And now, according to Ephesians 1, you have the Holy Spirit alive in you as a guarantee and a seal of your inheritance, which is to come in heaven. But He's reminding you now. He's helping you live now. He's strengthening you for the fight now. And as believers who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we say, Things like this, as we read them in Scripture, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have the very Spirit of God alive in us, but our bodies are like jars of clay. They're fleeting. We say things like this, like Paul says in Romans 8, 10, our spirit is alive with God's Spirit, but our bodies are dead because of sin. That's the way life is. This is how life is, and that is the way this prayer is. It's filled with eternity and woven into ordinary life. Verse 9, Jesus is saying, Father, cause your great and holy name to be honored and reverenced and esteemed and treasured above all things everywhere in the world, including my own heart. 
And in verse 10, Jesus continues, and cause your glorious, sovereign, kingly rule to hold fast without obstruction everywhere in the world, especially in my own heart. And verse 10, and cause your all wise, all good, all just, all holy will to be done all over this world in the way the angels do it perfectly and joyfully in heaven and make it happen in me. That's the breathtaking part of the prayer. And when you pray a prayer like that, you are caught up into great things, glorious things, global things, eternal things. And God wants this to happen. This is what He's instructing through His Son. God wants us to pray such prayers. He wants your life to be enlarged like that, for your heart to be engulfed like that, for the world to be enriched like that, for you to be expanded and soaring like that. But then we pray, Father, I'm not asking for the bounty of riches. I'm asking for bread. Just enough to give me life. I want to live today. I want to be healthy today. I want to have a body and a mind that work today. Would you give me what I need for my body and mind? Would you give me bread today? Verse 12, and Father, I'm a, I'm a sinner. And I need to be forgiven every day. I can't live. I can't flourish. I can't cultivate. I can't create with guilt in my life. I will die if I have to bear my guilt every day. I have no desire, Father, to hold any grudge against anyone. I know I don't deserve forgiveness, so I have no right to withhold forgiveness from someone else. I let go, Father, in this moment of all the offenses against me. Please have mercy upon me and forgive me and let me live in the freedom of your love. And you got to remember what Christ knew as he's, as he's teaching the disciples to pray this. They don't know it yet, but, but here's, what he's, here's what he's getting at. Jesus knew when he said this about this prayer that he would also say this later in Matthew chapter 26 about his death. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus knew that he would be the answer to the prayer the asking for forgiveness. When we pray for forgiveness, we expect it, not merely because God is our Father, but because our Father gave His only Son to die in our place. And now you and I are invited into the families, brothers and sisters of King Jesus, to be children of God. But Jesus goes on in verse 13, and Father... This is what he's teaching us to pray. I don't want to continue sinning. I'm thankful for forgiveness, but Father, I don't want to sin. Please don't lead me into the entrapments of overpowering temptation. A little side note, he's not saying that God tempts us. James makes it very clear that God is not the author of temptation. He's not the one tempting us. What he is saying, what Jesus is saying here that you and I should pray is, do not allow us, Father, to be tempted by sin. Change our desires 
a desire that would say your name be glorified, not my name be glorified. He's saying, deliver me from evil. Guard me from Satan and from all his works and all his ways. Enable me, Father, to walk in holiness. And that's the earthly part of the prayer. That's the the mundane kind of daily striving and struggling of the Christian life. This is what we're to pray. We need food. We need forgiveness and protection from evil. And these two halves correspond to the two things said about God and the way Jesus tells us to address Him at the beginning in verse 9. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. You see, first, God is a Father to His people. Again, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, God is your heavenly Father. Second, He is infinitely above us, and He's over all in heaven. So God is a Father in heaven. His fatherhood then shows his readiness to meet our earthly needs, to meet what we to meet the needs that we have, and his heavenliness shows his supreme right to be given worship and allegiance and obedience with all of our lives. For example, in Matthew 6:32, Jesus tells us not to be anxious about food and drink and clothing. Don't be anxious about food, don't be anxious about what you'll drink, don't be anxious about clothing. Because why? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You see, Jesus wants us to feel the fatherhood of God as an expression of His readiness to meet our most basic needs. And then consider Matthew 5.34 where Jesus says this, Do not take an oath by heaven, Do not take an oath by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Jesus is saying when you think of heaven, think of God's throne. Think of His kingly majesty. Think of His power, His authority over all. So when Jesus tells us to pray, our Father in heaven, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, He's telling us that the prayer hearing God is majestic and merciful. Isaiah 57 tells us that He is high, but that He also dwells with the lowly. He is King, and He is Father. He is holy, and He humbles Himself. He is far above us, yet always ready to come to us. He has plans for the whole earth, the whole universe, and He wants to care about these great plans. He wants you to care about these great plans. He wants you to pray about those great plans. And He has plans for your life at the most basic level. And he wants you to pray about that too. You see, the great designs of God are first and mainly about God. If God were not first and mainly about himself and it were something else, we would be wrong to worship God and not whatever that other thing is, right? God must be about himself. He must be about God. So the great designs of God are first and mainly about God. His name being honored as holy. His will being done. His kingdom coming. But the rest of the prayer shows that what God loves is how I can be molded to serve these great designs. That by my bread, my forgiveness, my deliverance, my health, my hope, my holiness, those things are the purpose of being part of God's great plans to glorify His name. To exalt His rule, to complete His will. 
There's something unique about the first request. Hallowed be your name. Or your name be honored as holy, as the CSB translation puts it. It's not just one of three requests. Hallowed be your name. In this request, we hear the one specific response of the human heart that God expects us to give. And that is the hallowing, the reverencing, the honoring, the admiring, valuing, treasuring of God's name above all things. None of the other five requests tell us to pray for a specific human response of the heart. And if you combine this with the fact that the name of God, hallowed be your name, the name of God is more like the being of God than is His kingdom or His will, what we see is that this is the main point of the prayer. It's for the hallowing of His name and that all the other requests are meant to serve that response of the human heart, that your name be hallowed, how your kingdom come, your will be done, that I may have bread, that I may forgive my debtors as I'm also receiving forgiveness, that I may be delivered from temptation, that I might not sin against you. All of that for the hallowing of God's name. In other words, the structure of the prayer is not merely the last three requests serving the first three, but the last five serve the first. We see it this way. The purpose of the universe is for the hallowing of God's name. His kingdom comes for that. His will is done for that. His humans have bread sustained life for that. Since our sins are forgiven for that, temptation is escaped for that, for the hallowing of His name. Our prayer then should be something close to this, Lord, Heavenly Father, allow me to, in all my weaknesses and all my limitations, remain close to the one clear grand theme of my life, and that is to make your name great on the earth. The grand theme of your life is to make God's name great. This is why we exist. We're created as image bearers to reflect His image in all the world, to worship Him. Prayer is communicating with God for the sake of glorifying His name with your entire life. Here's what I want you to know today. Sooner or later, life almost overwhelms you with pressures and problems. And you may be like, yeah, Sherlock, good job. It's post-2020. We'll have physical problems. Lord, give us daily bread. We'll have relational and mental problems. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. We'll have moral problems. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. And what I want you to see is this. What I want you to know today is this. You, as a believer, have a father a heavenly Father. And He is a thousand times, a million times, a bazillion times better as a father than the best human father could be. His fatherhood means that He cares about every one of those problems you're going through. And He wants you to talk to Him about them in prayer and to come to Him for help 
and to come to Him for wisdom, for guidance, for instruction, for corrections. And that's really kind of the way we usually attack our problems. And, and so we should. We attack them directly. I have this financial problem, or I have this relational problem, or I have this sin problem, or I have this bad habit problem. Father, help me. And that's right and good. Stick with me just for a minute. Jesus offers you something else in this prayer. Jesus is offering an indirect, glorious, sent from heaven attack on your problems. Jesus is saying there's a cure to your issues. It's not a complete deliverance from all problems in this life, but it's a powerful cure for your life. And the first three requests of the Lord's Prayer, especially the first one, we see this cure. You see, God created you to have a part in hallowing His name. And rest assured, whether you are good or evil, whether you are in Christ or you are on your own, you are glorifying the name of God with your life. But God created you to have a part in the good glorifying of His name. The extending of His kingdom. The seeing His will done on the earth. He made you for something magnificent and for something mundane. He made you for something spectacular and for something simple. He loves both. He works in both. He honors both. But what you and I will fail to see so often is this, is that when we lose our grip on the greatness, the grandeur, the hallowing of His name, when we lose our grip on the coming of His kingdom and His will being done, when we let that kind of slip out of our hands and we redirect our focus to the waters that are kind of rising over our head or the turmoil in a nation or what have you, we lose divine balance. You lose divine balance in your life. And then you are far more easily overwhelmed by the problems of the mundane. Far more overwhelmed. Brothers and sisters, I am I'm pleading with you this morning not to lose the command and the priority for hallowing the name of the Lord. I'm pleading with you not to lose the command or the priority, the expectation of praising the name of God in your life through prayer. I'm urging you this morning from the Lord's Prayer that you go to God for bread and for the healing of relationships and for the overcoming of overwhelming temptation in your life. And that you do it also for the doing of God's will and for the seeking of God's kingdom. All of it, all the time for the sake of knowing and hallowing, reverencing and honoring, valuing and treasuring God's name, God's being, God Himself above all things. By all means, keep your feet on the ground. That's why those second petitions are there. But let your heart rise into the magnificence of God's will, God's kingdom, and, and mostly of all, God's holy name. 
his being, his perfections. And trust me in this. You may not see it clearly now, but I know from the scriptures, I tell you today from the scriptures, from my own experience, there is more deliverance, more healing, more joy in the hallowing of his name than perhaps you ever dreamed in other pursuits. And that's why prayer exists, brothers and sisters. Prayer is communicating with God for the sake of glorifying his name with our lives. I want to remind you of a wonderful hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Jesus, Savior, is our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Blessed Savior, you have promised all our burdens you will bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to you in earnest prayer. Soon, in glory, bright, unclouded, face to face will be our prayer. Joyful praise and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. Amen. Let me pray for you. Stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that the saints today are encouraged to be men and women, boys and girls of prayer men and women, boys and girls who come to you to hallow your name above all else, to ensure that your name is being hallowed in every area of our life as we seek the mundane things, bread and forgiveness and deliverance. God, help us, help us to hallow your name with all of our lives. Father, would you, would you use this time to reveal in our hearts sin, areas, Father, where we are not walking in obedience to you, areas where we are making our, ourselves susceptible to be called a hypocrite because we might, out of one side of our mouth, proclaim the goodness and grandeur of God and then out of the other side of our mouth bring shame to your name. Father, would you steady our hearts today? Would you center us around this idea that you have a kingdom that is coming. You have a will that is being done. Even though we look out across the landscape of our lives sometimes when we think, where is God? Heavenly Father, reveal yourself to us today. We know that in Christ, you have been revealed. That in Christ, we have the perfect image of God. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that forgiveness of sins comes through his blood, which was shed on a cross, that he died, he was buried, he rose again, that all who call on the name of Jesus may be saved. Lord, if there's anyone in here whose heart is far from the Lord, who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, 
Father, would you save them today? Would you help them feel the weight of their sin, the devastation that it brings, the pain of it? Would you help them to see Jesus clearly now as the only one who can relieve such a burden and let their hearts be driven to him, Father? Lord, we love you. And today we say, may your name be honored as holy. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, would you supply each day the bread we need? Would you forgive us our debts, Father, and teach us to forgive our debtors? And Lord, would you lead us not into temptation? Deliver us from the evil one. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.